What I wanted to talk about, what, to begin talking about, it's, it's so interesting what Matthew said. He and I end up having this like really weird connection, it seems like, in the spirit. Whenever I'm getting ready to preach, if he's going to end up doing mid-service, I come in and make one statement. He goes, oh, that's what the Lord just showed me last night, and he shows me the scripture or, or something. Well, he walked in this morning. The first thing that I was thinking, I said, yeah, I'm, I want to open talking a little about, this is in my own mind, I want to open talking a little bit about friends and about friendship and, and what, a, what a true friend is. And Matthew walks in, first time he's ever greeted me this way. I was standing in the office and he walks up, so this was just the craziest confirmation to me. He walks up and says, hello, friend. And he's like, oh my goodness, you're at it again. So cool, I appreciate that friendship, friends. And I would just ask you this morning, we're going to go to a scripture here just in a, in a second about, about friends. But when you think of a friend, probably a face comes to your mind. When I say, who's your friend? Does one face come to your mind? Yeah, well, Jesus, yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't, don't be taking my main line away right there, David. No. Now, besides the face of Jesus, when you think of a friend, is there somebody that just comes to mind? Does everybody have, I like to see the hands raised if when I say a friend, a friend, who just thinks right quickly of the one person that comes to mind? Eh, probably about maybe two-thirds. Two-thirds of you think immediately of a friend that comes to mind. What are the characteristics of a friend? Um... A couple of weeks ago, I went to a funeral of a really good friend of mine, Dan Doherty, passed away at the tender young age of 69 years old. We were, what a shock, we were blown away by that. All of a sudden, Dan's gone. But I had opportunity to connect. I shared a little bit about this uh, a couple Sundays ago. But I had an opportunity to connect with some old, old friends of mine, like 30-year-old, 35-year-old friendships, 40-year-old Friendships and some of the people that I ended up sitting down and, and having the, the lunch with afterwards, it was when someone has been a, a true friend, a real friend, it doesn't really take very long to reconnect. You know, it seems like, oh, that's just like, man, we just whew, set the clock back almost 40 years. The things we were able to just to connect, the heart connect and, and start talking about. It's like, so one of the things, a friend, you can just be yourself with a friend, right? The person that you're thinking of, that the picture that came into your head, is someone that you can go, you can give them a hug, you can give them a handshake, whether you're a shaker or a hugger, but uh, greet them however, and instantly just reconnect. You can just be yourself, right? Is that not what everyone says? You know, it's someone that I can just be comfortable I can kick my shoes off, I can, uh, or I can invite them into my house if my house is a mess and my wife's not home. <laughs> That's a friend, right? Or if it's a really good friend of hers, I can invite them into the house when she's home. <laughs> no, a friendship is so, it, it's where you can be yourself you can be comfortable because you know that person, you have a relationship with that person, so you can just be yourself. That's a friend. 
and a friend of someone that you don't have to be all nervous and tentative and worried about if I really need somebody to help me can I call on that person right a friend is ready when you're in a time of need it's like how many of those friends do we have my son was talking just the other day about you know I said well I have to jump in the truck and I have to go you know my friend they, they got up, they got stuck, they got their horses, and they had the hay, and they had all of this stuff. They're stuck, and I had to jump up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go up there to, to, you know, to help them. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, that has got to be a really good friend for you to be willing to get out of bed at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, load up, get your chains, get your gear, make sure it's your four-wheel drive, and your chains and shovels, and head up to the mountains to drag a horse trailer out of the... You know what I'm talking about? That's a real friend. Somebody that you can call on, that you don't hesitate even. It's like, well, for, for my son Sean, it's like, you know, Jason. Jason Winters and him, they're just awesome friends. They can call on one another, and they know that they'll answer the phone, and they know that they'll come to the rescue. That's a friend. Somebody you can be comfortable, you can be yourself, and you can count on. There's a scripture that where... Well, in fact, we will turn to that scripture uh, in Proverbs 18.24. Proverbs 18.24. Can we get that up on the... I don't know how that one marked. Take me a second to find it. Proverbs 18.24. There are several different translations. When I read this, um, I went to, to uh, four or five different translations. I was reading them to Renee. It's like, wow, listen to this. But... A man who has friends must himself be friendly. When you read this in NIV, could you, is that something that you can just quickly get to, Linda, or is that yes or no? Yeah. In NIV, it's already up there. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. It's like, Wow. There's another translation in the NA, New American Standard Bible, an ESV, English Standard Version, that says one who has too many friends is not going to do well. The end doesn't turn out well if you have too many friends. Can we end up getting ESV? A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's like, a man who has too many friends or too many com companions may come to ruin. It's like, what in the world would that mean? Take it back to New King James, which is what I typically read and, and teach from. But as I've said before, I, I will look at other translations. I'll go to Greek. I want to figure out what, what it means. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay, must himself be friendly. It's like, and that might lead you to ruin. How would that be? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <clears throat> that would be because we end up becoming the chameleon, whatever it takes to end up having many friends we try to become a friend to 
very many friends, we'll be making enough changes and adapt to enough different situations that we will be conforming more to the standards of the world. This makes sense now? It's like, oh. Too many friendships pulls you in too many different directions, causing you to be who you are not necessarily created to be. Does this make sense yet? It's like, okay. All right. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. David, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. We set our sights on Jesus rather than making so many, so many friends. I look at, at, at Facebook and the number of friends that different people, you know, and that's, that's the glory and how many friends that someone has on Facebook. And then when you start looking at some of the comments and the things that people put on Facebook, and it's like, oh, Lord, are you kidding me right now? It's like, oh, okay, like give me three friends on Facebook. No, that's why I'm not on Facebook. That's, uh, I, I'm sure it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's great, but it's not for me. Okay, we're talking about friends, we're talking about deep friendships, we're talking about real friends. There is not another friend like Jesus. That's our ultimate friend and our ultimate friendship. And when we get to a place, this is where the, I'm going with this message, is when we get to a place that we can call Jesus friend, we have gotten to a place where we can communicate, where we can share our heart, where we can be who we are in His presence and be comfortable there. Jessica brought an amazing message last week. Wasn't that incredible? Those of you that were here for the message that she brought, it's like, boom. This, this is really what she was talking about, is identity and sonship and learning who she was and, 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 and in His presence and how glorious it is to be in His presence and to know who you are in His presence. Be comfortable in His presence, not just absolutely fearful, oh, what have I done now? What have I done now? What have I done now? Oh, great. Like, in the presence of a loving Father, we love to be there because there's peace and joy. But when we perceive our Father to be something different, like to be holding the gavel and the big hammer and stuff, and you're just about to get smashed again, it's like, I messed up again, I messed up again, I messed up again. I want to share a little... The other day, um, Tim, Tim, Pastor Tim, we, we share an office now, and, and that's deliberate. I, I, I want him to share an office with me so he can learn a whole lot of, about what goes on in my life. And so he was talking about you know, privacy and, and things that I need, and well, somebody's looked at my desk, and somebody moved this, and somebody did that, I says, uh, Look at my desk, Tim. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I don't care. I don't, I don't have anything to hide. There's not anything different here. I, I, don't, I really don't have anything to hide. He said, yeah, your life is just pretty much an open book. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I believe transparency is the way that it should be, the way that we should be. And when we end up, I'm saying again, having that kind of relationship 
with God, with Jesus, that we are completely transparent before Him because He sees all anyway, and with others because we don't live differently when we're in church or when we think that we need to be pleasing to God, that our life is the same way every day, that we're living a transparent, loving, uh, everyday loving Him and receiving the love that He has for us. Transparency. I'll tell you, uh, another Jeff... Jeff, John, Jeff Towery. <laughs> I wasn't asking you for his last name. I was just going to point you out. Okay, Jeff Towery, John Wolf, uh, Timothy Martinez, Pastor Tim, and myself had breakfast the other day. We had a, we had a breakfast meeting, and, and uh, we were getting ready to discuss, and, and the waitress had come by a couple times. Finally, all four of us are there, and, and uh, she brought our food out to us. They did a great job at, at the griddle over there in Nampa, and, and she set our stuff down. She says, is there anything else I can do for you guys? And I said, yeah, would you bless this food for us? And I leaned my head down, and she snickered at first. And I looked at her, and she said, you're serious? Said, well, yeah. She said, okay. <clears throat> so she blessed our meal for us. She prayed, it, you know, just a great, fairly short prayer, and and uh, after she finished, I said, thank you. I, I looked over at Jeff, and he had turned absolutely red for her. <laughs> Just kind of shook his head, and Tim, Tim says, welcome to breakfast with Pastor Lynn. <laughs> so I said, doesn't make much difference if it's in a restaurant, if it's whatever. I am going to be who I am before the Lord and before, before my friends. This and when you're comfortable with that, welcome to be my friend. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. I want to go to Luke, the 15th chapter. We know now, I think I've established about, uh, about friendships that, you know, we're, we're not wanting to be a friend with the world. We don't need to be a friend with everybody, that we need to be selective with whom we choose to be our friends. I know all of you have heard me say, show me your three closest friends and I will predict your future for you. So, we need to have the right friends. Bad company corrupts good character. The Bible says it really clearly. Okay, we are moving to Luke 15. We're going to start with the 11th verse of chapter 15. And I left my glasses. I probably have it memorized. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you, my dear. Beginning with, thank you. The 11th verse. There's a certain man who had two sons. So these guys are brothers. And Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he was basically saying, Dad, I'm ready for my, for my inheritance right now. I, I would like to have it. 
I've got some big plans for my inheritance, Dad, so give me my portion. And this was the younger of the two sons. The younger of the sons was ready for his portion immediately. Got some plans. I want to do some stuff. By the size, I'm an adult now, Dad. I can make decisions on my own. I need my inheritance so I can get on with life. You've raised me up. You've taught me. You've brought me to this point. Now give me the money. Show me the money. So he divided to them his livelihood. So we're in, in chapter 12. So he divided to them. So that means they both got. Wouldn't you interpret that? They both got their portion. He divided to them. We always hear, I've heard many sermons and messages on this, but we're only hear and think, well, the youngster got his and he took off with it. But it said he divided to them the portion uh, that fell to him. He divided up his livelihood. It's like, oh, okay. So the older brother got his part too then, right? Access to it, he got it. If he wanted it, he got it. It's divided. Here's, and something else that I would like you to know, in, in, I, I spent some time on this, uh, studying this in that culture at that time, in the Jewish culture, the firstborn, the older son, got twice the inheritance that the younger son got. So the older one got double, double portion. Okay, not many days after, the younger son gathered all his stuff together. He gathered his inheritance together. He ran to the pawn shop or somewhere to cash it in so he could have money to take off on a trip. So he gathered up the stuff, turned it into something that he could carry with him. Gold, silver, we don't really know what, but he gathered up his stuff and he took off on a journey to a far country. <clears throat> there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Who knows what prodigal living is? Anybody know what prodigal living is? Wasteful? Anything else? Louder. Riotous? Rebellious? Immoral? Well, I looked it up on a couple different levels, and prodigal living is luxurious, wasteful living. I thought it surely was going to be something extremely immoral that had to do with prostitutes and all kinds of things, because that's what we're going to hear him being, uh, being accused of as something awful. But prodigal is just wasteful, luxurious kind of living. In other words, he took his possessions, took off and just began to waste everything that he had luxuriously. When he'd spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now I'm imagining that with all of that money that he lavishly, luxuriously, and wastefully spent, there were probably a number of friends along the way, wouldn't you think? He didn't just spend it all on himself. Are you with me? I think he was making friends with the money that he had. And I think he blew it. He was lavish, luxuriously, wastefully, made a bunch of friends while he had money. But on prodigal living. But when he had spent all of it, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Where were his friends now? 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, that citizen of the country, sent him into his fields to feed swine. So what's he hanging out with now? The pigs. Some really glorious living going on now, hanging out with the pigs, feeding the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods. You know what it smells like? Have you ever raised pigs or been around somebody who raised pigs? Hey, it smells great. It smells like money, but it doesn't smell great. It's nasty. I tried it once. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it's nasty. You clean and clean, and it's, it's just nasty because they're nasty. <laughs> and he would, yeah. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. Now, when this young man came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He started to come to his senses, thinking what it was like in his dad's house. It's like, you know what? Dad's rules might not be as bad as I thought they were. I'm out here starving, slopping around with the pigs, even thinking of eating what I'm feeding to the pigs, and the people back that are serving my father, his servants, have it so much better than I do. They've got plenty to eat, they've got a roof over their head, they know where their next meal is coming from. So he came to himself, realized what it was like to live under the blessing of his father. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hungry with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So what attitude is he going to his father with? A very humble attitude. It's like, Dad, I messed up really bad. I want to come back into the house. I just want to be like one of the servants, Dad, because I don't deserve to be a son anymore. I don't even deserve for you to call me son. Just treat me like one of the servants because I messed up that bad. I'll arise and go to my father. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's a worthiness issue now. I'm not even worthy because of the things that I've done to be called your son, Father. Make me like one of the hired servants, willing to step into servanthood. I'll do whatever you say now, Dad. I have no problem. I learned a lesson. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It's like this son was not returning to his father going, I'm going to give Dad another chance. He's lucky to have me back because I'm going to have to keep the face up. I'm going to have to make him think that I was successful. I want to come back and I want, hey, Dad, I want to give you another chance at this. I want you to be a good dad and I'm giving you another chance. It's like, no, 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 no. I can remember when my son and one of his, my younger son, the one that passed away from the motorcycle accident, 
when he had returned home from one of his excursions, knew he was in big, big trouble, he tried one of those, one of those hands. He calls me, Dad, Cody? Yeah, Dad. Um, I'm ready to come home. I like, okay, I'm ready for you to come home, but uh, I don't want you to take my truck away. Cody, yeah, you have no bargaining chips, son. Okay, you need to get home. You need to get home right now, and then we will talk about this, but there are no bargaining chips on your part. He came back very sorry, very sorry for all that he had done. He lost his truck, <laughs> but he thought it was worth a try. He came in quite with a quite humble attitude and was very quickly forgiven by his dad, me. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. Uh, but the father said to his servants, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Bring a ring to put on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now that ring represents, that's like the credit card. You know, that's like giving your kid the credit card. That, that ring was like dad's signature, you know, the family signature. You could press that down and it's like, that, that's, that's good. That's good as gold right there. So he was completely, completely restored. A brand new shiny robe, sandals on his feet, the ring. He said, I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father kissed his neck and restored him completely. Reminds me of what I was speaking just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, about the woman that came to Jesus' feet and she wept on his feet. She just cried on his feet and dried his feet with her tears. And he said, to whom much is forgiven, there is much love. So who's going to love me more, the one who has been forgiven much or the one who just hasn't really even hardly messed up? Oh, the one who's for, been forgiven much. Absolutely. Completely restored. For this is my... And he says, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now, his older son was out in the field... And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What does this mean? What's all this noise? What's the celebration? What's going on? And the servant said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him, because he, your father, has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the older brother was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out to him and pleaded with him, Son. And so he answered to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Okay, remember, he divided everything between the two sons. The older son got double, a double portion. It's like, you never gave me anything. I didn't even have a chance to go to 
eat a goat with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, it's like he was spying on him or something there, but you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. It's like, amen and amen. It's like, what, what in the world? Why would not the older brother be happy to see his, his, his brother come back? He's home again. He's saved. He's, he's, he's not out in the pig pen. He's not doing all of the stuff that in your mind, at least, that you think he was doing. It's like, why would the older brother not be happy? Jealousy. You know, I think that there's a number of things. I, I, as I've prayed about this and thought that the Lord, I knew that I was to speak on this, like, oh. The older brother... Almost like what Jessica was talking about last week. Um, the older brother had a servant mindset. The older brother did not realize what the heart of the father really was like. The only way I can please the father is to do just like the rest of the servants are doing. If I do like the servants do, then my dad's going to be happy with me. So he will always be disappointed because he, he can't be comfortable. This, this is the guy that can't really be comfortable in his dad's presence. He can't really be himself. He has to be working. He has to be work, serve. The only way that I can please my dad, the only way that I can win favor with my dad is to work, 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 work. This represents the old covenant. It's like the only way that we can get close to God is by keeping every single commandment. Work, 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 work. When the heart of the Father was exposed, was shown very clearly who He was and how He was by how He treated, like the new covenant, His Son that came back to Him, lowly in stature, it's like, Oh, Dad, I'm not even worthy to come back. And yet you give me the ring, you give me the robe, you give me new sandals to put on my feet. I, I, I can hardly understand this. But I know and I understand now that I can be comfortable in your presence. I can be who I am. And because I know now, Dad, how much you love me because I've gone out and been really stupid, and now I've come back and you've embraced me and completely restored me exactly to where I was. I don't have to start over as a servant. I've been restored into being your son. Oh. And that's, that's exactly the heart of the Father that we serve. Jesus wants us to be comfortable with him now there's a time there is a time for for uh 
I call it, and that, I'm, the word that I'm looking for is not sad, but a, a lowly, worthy, I am not worthy, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. A time of repentance that's not just a joyful thing where, where our heart is revealed to us and, oh God, I am so, so, so sorry. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Father. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. A tearful, tearful, sorrowful, repentance where I am so sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what it did to your heart, Father. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me and restore me. And he's faithful to, to do just exactly that. He doesn't say go back to the end of the line and start over. You're now a servant. You're now the lowliest of servants. You have lost your position. He's thinking, no, you're restored right here. Right where you were when you left is where you have come back to fully restored, robed up, sandaled up, ringed up, and ready to go. You know, I, I was really feeling like this, this ring as I was meditating this morning. It's like, I don't have any ring right now. I, I have a permanent ring around my finger from 29 years, 28 years of wearing a wedding ring that I finally got off and haven't put back on. Because I know, I, I know who I am and I know whose I am. Uh, but I felt like, you know what, I, I uh, and, and Matthew talking about the feast, the wedding feast and stuff, even was another confirmation. I feel like I have two rings. I have a wedding ring that I'm married to this beautiful lady right here. And I have an engagement ring that I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for <laughs> that I'm getting ready to be reunited because I'm part of the church. I'm part of the bride of Christ. And I'm engaged and getting ready. Now that sounds weird to say for a little bit, but that's the truth. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We wear the ring. The ring. We wear the ring. It's like right there. I can put that, that stamp up. The older brother, the older brother, having a servant mindset, I just think, now who, I like, to, I like to run a fast forward on these stories, it's not told right here in the Bible, so I have to use my, let's just call it spirit-led imagination. I would like to say spirit-led imagination anyway. It's like, what happened to the younger brother then? What, if we roll it forward just a little bit, what do you suppose happened to the younger brother? I think that the younger brother has this incredible testimony, this amazing story to tell to his kids and his kids' kids and his, even his brother's kids and his uncle's kids. He's got this amazing story to tell about complete forgiveness and restoration and what's available and the blessings that are available right now. You know, we know that there's an inheritance at the end of the road, but you know what? For us Christians... For those who believe that He is a loving Father who wants to share what He has with us, it's like He's ready to start dividing it up to His children right now. We have access. Jesus came that we would have life and have life to the abundance. It's the devil that came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have abundant life. So when we step into that sonship, 
We're stepping into the abundant life where He has the resources that He wants to divide up, that He wants to give to each one of us. And all we have to do is receive His love, reciprocate in His love. He says, those who keep My commandments are those who love Me, and I will manifest Myself to them. I will bless them. So I believe that the younger son as he began to mature and came back with such an attitude of gratitude, knowing he was unworthy, that if he needed any more correction, that there was this time of sorrowful repentance. God, I am so sorry. Dad, I am so sorry for what I've done. But now it's like, Dad, if you see something else in me that needs correcting, let me know really quick and I will take care of it. I will take care of that, Dad, because I love you and I appreciate you so much, Dad, that I am now willing and desiring to do anything and everything I can to please you back for what you've done for me. It's not, I have to, I have to, I have to. It's like, I get to. Because I am under the covering of my Father. I am under His blessing. And I get to do what he asks me to do. Now, I'm not in the pig pen anymore. Does this make sense? So this is what the younger brother, this is what I see for the younger brother. Now for the older brother, it's work, work, work. Well, I got my double, double my inheritance. My dad's, my dad's dead now, so I have these servants. I have this double inheritance, and I have to hang on to this now i got to be careful, and I still hate that brother of mine for everything that he did, and that even though he messed up like that, Dad still restored him. It's like another thing that I discovered from what fathers had the ability to do, the older son was the one who got the double portion of the inheritance. So when Dad dies, the older son is going to get double what the next sons, kids, whatever, get. Double portion. But what the dad can do, he can gift his children along the way. And I believe the older son, because he understood and received the love, and he reciprocated with, with joy, and with, he appreciated so much what his dad did for him, that he reciprocated that, I'll bet he was showered with gifts beyond the inheritance at the end of the road. The older son, if he was not willing to forgive and to receive the Father's love, getting to know and understand the Father's heart, his reward was only that which he inherited but not the blessing, the continued blessing of living under and in and under the favor of the Father. I believe the younger son, then, from the lessons that he learned... Uh, in Galatians 4.2, it talks about a time of tutors and governors. 
You know, to raise up a son is no different than a servant until he realizes and comes into a place of maturity and realizes who he is, his true identity. He's not any different than a servant. So he has to have some, some rules and some guidelines to go by. So I believe that the younger brother is quick in his testimony and what he's willing to share with people to say, hey, if you will live between the, the, the let's just say, the, you know when they set those concrete things up around corners on the highway, when you're driving down the highway and you see these concrete things that are set up as barriers, and they protect you from, especially if you're driving up in the mountains, they protect you from running off into the river. And then you see a solid yellow line here. It's a really bad idea to cross that because you might end up having a head on. I believe that there are guidelines. There are guidelines. There are laws put in place to guidelines for successful living. It's like... The younger brother saying, hey bro, if you will pay attention to these guidelines, these curbs that keep you on the right track, this double yellow line that you're not supposed to cross, man, life will be much, much simpler for you. I got so far across that I got lost out there in the weeds and ended up in the pig pen. If you don't do that, you can live under the continuous flow and blessing of what God has for your life. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that friend, when we develop the relationship with him, Jesus says in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, because I've already shared with you everything that my Father shared with me. You have an ear to hear. You've listened. You have applied. I call you friends. There is a place that we can get to that's even beyond sonship where a son can become a friend. A son can get so close, so close to the dad, the father, that they can become best of friends. And when a son becomes best friends with the father, you have stepped from sonship into friendship. And Jesus says, I call you friends. That's what real, true friendship is all about. A friend that sticks closer than a brother, that you can share anything and everything with. He knows your needs and He wants to bless you. He wants you to be under that constant flow of blessing under His care. Would you stand with me? Get the prayer team to come up front. Can we get...
I think that, you know, that there, there's a time that uh, I see so oftentimes, I, I watch the, you know, the closings in, in, in sermons and uh, pastors close and, and sometimes I say, you know, if, if, you know, if that's you, raise your hand and sometimes I... <clears throat> I feel like we have sometimes watered it down too much. Like it, to make it just altogether too easy. It's like, you know, if, if that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray this simple prayer over you and Jesus is going to save you. But there's a time for a sorrowful repentance where we genuinely come before the Lord sorrow for what we've done. Sor sorry. You know, God, I am really sorry that that's what I've done and who I've been. And I want to repent of that. Forgive me, Lord. And that's the time to actually pour it out. Pour it out before the Lord. Not just like, just raise your hand and we're going to pray this quick prayer together and, and, and it's, going to be, it's going to be done and it's going to be settled. I, I really believe that, that there is first a sorrowful repentance where we poured out our hearts and God here it is here I am before you and I, I want you to see I want you to know I know some of the things I've done and I am so sorry for those things and making that statement before others he says if if you'll acknowledge me before others I will acknowledge you before my father if you're embarrassed of me before others I won't acknowledge you before my Father. I just encourage you this morning, if, if this is spoken to you and you say, I need to get some things in my life straightened out. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never said, I am sorry for what I've done, my desire is to be friends with you. I want to be your son. Or we call out Abba Father, Abba Father. I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. And I want to become a friend. I want to become a friend. I want that kind of relationship with you that turns into a friendship where you call me friend. If you've never taken that first step, I just invite you to come down this morning. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. A time of sorrowful confession and repentance. Okay. Now, I would ask anyone that doesn't feel that that has you've you've committed your life, you have been walking the walk. But you feel like there's been a drift. You've, you've just kind of drifted and say, Father, I, I want a renewal this morning. I, I want a renewal. I want to come back to you. I want to recommit. I want to establish sonship with you this morning. 
Is there anybody this morning that feels like, I want to recommit, I want to establish sonship. I want to step into my true identity today. Is there anybody that wants to come down for that? Okay, now we're going to raise a hand. Anybody this morning, let's just raise a hand, wants to get to the place and the position where Jesus, you and Jesus, would be calling one another friends. Let's just raise your hands because we're getting ready to pray. If, you're, if you are looking to establish within your relationship moving to a place to where you and Jesus refer to one another as friends. All right, Father, I just thank you. You are such a loving, glorious Father that when we turn back to you, when we run to you, you receive us with open arms. You reestablish us. You kiss our neck. You love on us, God. And I just pray as we raise our hands up to you as like in a, you know, in a point of surrender, God, that I am surrendering anything that I'm holding on to to you because there's nothing I desire more than a loving friendship with you. I want to be established first as a son. I want to be established as a daughter. I want to be confident in that, in my relationship with you, Lord. Show me, teach me, tell me, guide me. But even more importantly, I want to get so comfortable in your presence that I know you're referring to me as friend. I say, Holy Spirit, come. Deal with each heart, each raised hand as we call upon your name. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Minister. Minister to your people. Minister to hearts. Minister to each one in this congregation at whatever level or place they are right now. Whatever the position of your heart, expose it and let Holy Spirit do a work in you. Father, we just give you thanks. We give you praise. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you. I thank you for your word. I speak blessing over each one standing in this building, in this congregation. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.